Last week we talked, if you'll remember, we talked a little bit about the idea of love in our neighborhoods, of moving love out into the world a bit. And today I want to focus on those very aspects of love, our close friends, our families, our partners, that idea perhaps of even romantic love. That's what I want to focus on today. And so, um, you know me, I like to do a little bit of research, and I always do research for a joke. And I also uh, found some other disturbing information about love today, but, but in lieu of a joke, but in lieu of the joke, anyway, I found that on this website that had the dictionary of love, and, and I figured I just had to share at least a few of these definitions for you. So first of all, it was the definition of attraction, and that is the act of associating horniness with a particular person. And uh, then the Dictionary of Love went on to explain what love at first sight was. And that's what occurs when two horny but not entirely choosy people meet. (laughs) All right. Uh, Definition of interesting. Interesting is a word to describe someone that lets you do all the talking. Uh, Definition of irritating habit, what the endearing little quality that initially attracts two people to each other turn into after just a few weeks. (laughs) And finally, and oh, this one was true for me a couple years ago, uh, dating, the definition of dating, it's the process of spending an enormous amount of time, money, and energy to get better acquainted with a person to whom you may or may not like. And... uh, and most definitely may or may not like in the future. (laughs) All right. Now, as you can gather here, these definitions, um, from this dictionary of love anyway, is what I would sort of call from the school of that animal magnetism sort of definition of what love is. And I thought, well, what I'd also like to do uh, for today is really see sort of how love works from an actual physical standpoint. You know, normally what I like to do on Sundays is kind of go from the physical to the metaphysical. And I thought, well, What are doctors literally? What are biochemists? What are people saying about that mechanism that is love? And so also on the internet, you know, I have this fondness for the Wikipedia. And uh, the Wikipedia does, I think, a fairly good job of talking about love, but it's also a little disturbing. So let me, I mean, this is right from the main article on love, and it starts right out this way. Biological models of sex tend to view love as a mammalian drive, much like hunger or thirst. Helen Fisher, a leading expert in the topic of love, divides the experience of love into three partly overlapping stages, lust, attraction, and attachment. Lust exposes people to each other. Romantic attraction encourages people to focus their energy on mating. An attachment involves the toleration of the spouse long enough to rear a child into infancy. <laughs> and then, you know, if that, if that wasn't clinical enough for you, uh, you know, it's actually quite a long article. I'm not going to read all of it to you, but, but let me read you this last little bit here. Recent studies in neuroscience have indicated that as people fall in love, the brain consistently releases a certain set of chemicals, including pheromones, dopamine, oh, and here's that word again that Nancy... 
norepinephrine, thank you, and serotonin, which act in a manner similar to amphetamines. <laughs> it stimulates our brain's pleasure center and leads to side effects such as increased heart rate, loss of appetite and sleep, and an intense feeling of excitement. Now, now here's the, that, that, if you want to consider that the good news, here's the bad news. Research has indicated that this stage generally lasts from one and a half years to three years maximum. <laughs> Okay, I don't know about you, but doesn't there have to be more to love than that? You know, that may be a very handy explanation of what's going on in our bodies, that sort of chemical soup that is the combination of, uh, of kind of our, um, as our emotions maybe indwell our bodies. Maybe that's a good definition from that perspective. But what I was thinking, the more I thought about it, what I realized, this was telling us, how it works, but it isn't yet really describing what it is, is it? It's like it came, it came in the package as though this is what it is, but really, after I thought about it more, it's how it works. So what is it behind this? What, what is the impetus that starts this? You know, whether you have read a Shakespearean sonnet recently or, or seen just a beautiful romantic story, uh, maybe at the movies, you know, whether you have uh, in your own life maybe got to witness something like a grandparent's 50th wedding anniversary. I mean, I think all of us can look at a place in our own lives or the lives around us where we can see an unmistakable sign of something that goes well, well beyond these biomechanics, right? I remember my own grandparents' 50th wedding anniversary, and I swear, these two people, and I spent quite a bit of time with them growing up. They had a, a set of summer cabins at the beach, and, uh, and it coincided, of course, with summer vacation, and so um, as the, the young fellow, I got to hang out with them and help clean the cabins a lot, and what I remember most was the endearing attachment that these two people had together, even after 50 years of, of marriage. Nearly every day, some small level of intimacy and love exchanged between the two of those. I mean, there were still notes, for gosh sake, in his paper lunch sack. Now, this is after 50 years of marriage, and still, a couple times a week, there would be a sweet note in his lunch sack. And after 50 years of marriage, he, he did some woodworking in the basement. Now and then he would produce something that he had made with his own hands to her. Now this is love that goes beyond any kind of chemical soup, right? This is the kind of love that, that endures, and this is the kind of love that I think that we all strive for. Okay, so naturally we're using this wonderful book called Love and Law by Ernest Holmes, and I thought, well, let's take a look and see what Ernest has to say, because certainly he will get us to the bottom of this uh, biomechanical soup. But you know, at first I was kind of dumbfounded. Here's what he says. Most people who think they are in love are just attracted physically. When people who are attracted on a physical plane are married and the fire and passion is burned out, there is nothing in common but that common ordinary physical attraction. And when that is gone, love is gone with it. We're back in the soup again. We're back in the no, no effort. <laughs> okay, I promise I'll learn how to say it soon. But it sounds like, my God, we're back in, in that chemical world. But I was pleased to see couple pages later, he, he clarifies this a bit. He says, you stand there in the midst of all that there is, 
and feel yourself to be a center of the irresistible power and impulse of God's love. For love is more than a sentiment. Nobody can withstand it. That thing, that love, which is the cause of all creation, of everything, and as you let that love flow through you, love cannot help but be attracted back to you. So clearly, he says, there is another kind of love. And often they go together, too. It isn't that somehow if we have a love, it's divorced from those feelings of attachment. Those, what were they? Lust, attraction. Uh, now I've forgotten already. Lust, attraction. Yeah, exactly, and attachment. It's not that they're completely devoid of that. But again, he's suggesting here that there's something behind it all that is more important. Right? If we look out in, in the animal kingdom, for instance, I, I, I mean, you know, if it was just a matter of procreation, you know, we could have come up with something like the fish use, right? We wouldn't really have to have relationships at all, and we certainly wouldn't have to have romantic love. There are any numbers of species out there that where, where the two partners coming together for procreation don't even meet each other, right? The female will, no, honestly, the female will leave eggs behind, the male comes by and fertilizes them. You know, who knows who the father is, right? <laughs> so what I know is that God's plan had something more important for us than just this idea of procreation, just this chemical soup, if you will. That may be the how of it. That may be what moves us along in the way that we move along, but the impetus for it, that initial urge towards love, that part of us that yearns for connection with other people, I swear is more than the chemical soup, the how of it, right? Okay. So I think it all starts with God. There is a saying that God simply is love, and that is my particular belief. I believe that God created this entire universe, all of its majesty, all of its wonder, all of its uh, detailedness and vastness and wonderfulness out of love. In a way, I don't see any other reason for it. This too, I suppose we can explain the how of it, right? By quantum physics and, and, and you know, using Newton's laws of circular orbits and, you know, but again, I think that's just the how of it. That explains how it works, but the why of it, the what it is, is love itself. And so God's love, that primal love, is completely without strings. God loves us by giving us the entire keys to the kingdom of God. If you think about it, we as human beings, as we are interacting with our own children, often there are strings attached, right? Whether we think of it as for their own safety or for their own good, often our love is expressed in a way that has strings attached for it. And, and, and I think this is inevitable in a way. We want to limit people's choices, especially the people closest to us, especially our children. We want to limit some of their choices to make sure they're making good chase choices, choices that won't put them in danger, choices that will, will make sure that they're safe and secure. And then when they get a little older, Older, in theory, most of us as parents will begin releasing some of those strings. And if we don't, then the teenager years come up. And whether we want to release them or not, the teenagers are going to self-individualize, are going to be, again, making their own choices. But you know what? God's love starts from the very beginning in that completely 
giving sense of no strings attached. We are 100% free to make whatever choices we want, whether they're life-affirming choices full of love, full of sweetness, full of goodness and freedom, or sometimes we make choices, maybe we're kind of casting around, trying to find our own selves, and we make choices that aren't so good, aren't so life-affirming, aren't so loving. And yet, this is that gift of utter love for us to be able to have that free choice in our life. This is God's ultimate gift of love. It's our complete and utter freedom of choice. And God, even into the mix, as we learned the last few weeks, throws that whole idea of cause and effect, that law by which our thoughts and our choices outpicture in the world to bring about what we hold closest in our mind. So not only are we loved up with that idea of complete freedom in our choices, but then the universe, as we hold on to those choices and solidify them in our mind and hold them close to us, that mechanical part of God, that law of cause and effect, is there to lovingly enact them for us. Now, sometimes you might wonder, Oh my God, wouldn't it be nicer if God intervened a little bit that sometimes I have made some extraordinary choices, extraordinarily good once in a while, perhaps extraordinarily bad from time to time. Wouldn't it be nice if God knew better, if God intervened? And you know what? That's us looking at God as though we want God to be a parent. We're doing that anthropomorphization of God to try to, pa- to picture God in the image of us humans, right? Instead of allowing us to picture ourselves in more a vision of God. God so loves us that we're going to be allowed to make even the bad choices because the idea is we will learn from them. We'll be able to get right back up on the horse and use the law of cause and effect and God's willingness to support us in whatever then the next decision that we'll make. The idea that this is a loving and a learning experience, that life itself is a loving and a learning experience. That's the nature of God. Now what I'd like to suggest today is that all of us can become more godlike in our loving. And especially with those that are the most important to us, our spouses, our loved ones, our, our family, our, you know, our best friends, those people that we reserve the bulk of our time for, the bulk of our attention, and, and, and truly our heart for, we can make a fundamental change in our loving style, if you will, by thinking of ourselves more like in that godlike position of loving without any strings attached. Okay, now those of you who are moms and dads out there, I'm not saying that you need to go home and let the child, you know, put their hand on the hot stove, right? I mean, there, we still can have issues of safety and concern here that are important. But for the most part, the more free we can be with our loved ones to let them individualize their own lives, to find their own connection to God, to make their own way, to make their own choices, the more free with which we can do that, the more that sense of God's love, of that unconditional love, is brought into the world. 
So often I think that we come away with the idea of our ability to love looks a certain way, that, that parenting looks a certain way, that you know, we're about protecting the children from life. That if our, if our idea of uh, romantic love, you know, once, we, once we've you know, formed a, a long-term bond with something, that our idea of what that relationship looks a certain way, and it, and it has rules about it, and there are compromises around each other's freedoms. And you know what? I think that's at our human best, but also sometimes at our human worst. And I'd like you to take a look at the rules if you will, the game plan or the, the power issues, the whatever it might be, the decision-making even, that goes on in some of your most loving relationships. And I want to suggest that if we can pare away a few of those strings, if we can untie and give back to the people we love the most a little bit more freedom, sometimes even if it's freedom for them to experience maybe a little more pain, a little more closeness to God through their own experiences, I want to suggest to you that in the long run, this relationship will endure longer, will be happier, will really be a sense of freedom instead of a sense of, like, enclosure. And do you know what I mean there? Has anyone in the room kind of experienced that sort of clinging love before, where it felt like you, you were almost smothered by it? And although on the one side it kind of felt good because it felt so intense, I got to tell you, those forms of love in the long run really are strangling that very thing that you want to hold close to you. So if you're in one of those relationships that, that feels a little smothery, that, that, and whether you're the smothery or the smotherer, what I want to suggest is take a good look at those. Because in the same way that God's ultimate gift of love is a gift of freedom, I want to suggest to you that that can be your ultimate gift of love as well. To allow your partner, to allow your family, to allow your best friends to make their own decisions, to experience life on their own terms, sometimes to do something crazy for no reason, and to learn and to grow and to exist from it. All right, I have a little bit of homework I'm thinking of you for this week. Are we up to maybe a little bit of spiritual practice by way of homework? I'd like to suggest this on two different levels. One is very simple. I want you to look at the relationships that are the closest to you right now. It might be your children. It might be your parents. It might be um, your, your spouse or your partner. It might be, you know, best friends. Do they know how you feel about them? Do they know how you honestly feel about them? And if you can't answer that fairly cleanly, if you can't say something like, oh yeah, I talked to my mom on the phone last week, I told her that I loved her, and it was like feeling a hug over the phone. Now if you can say that, you're good. But if there are people in your life that are close to you that you can't answer that cleanly about, like, well, I haven't talked to my son in a couple months, and he's on the East Coast. Or, or if you say to yourself, uh, well, now here's a favorite one that I like. Well, of course he knows I love him. I cook all those meals for him, right? Or of course she knows that I love her 
You know, why would I spend all that time with her if I didn't love her? You know, these are not the kind of answers I want to hear. <laughs> People really deserve that gift of knowing, absolutely knowing, not, not in some kind of ambivalence or not in some kind of, well, I think he loves me. Really, do what's right and the people you love, tell them so. That's your first bit of homework. The second bit of homework, I want you to approach as though it is the first day back to school after a long summer and you're in third grade. Your, your second homework assignment is to make a new friend. Do you remember when you were in third grade and your mom's taking you to school for the first day of fall and there was that little bit of nervousness. Uh, for me, anyway, it was like, I hope they like me. But also there was that little bit of excitement because I knew that inevitably I would come out of that, just that one day back at school with at least one new friend. Now, what I'm suggesting to you is, why does that suddenly end at third grade or fourth grade, right? All of us have that same power of going out in the world this week and making a new friend. Now, whether it's a coworker that you don't know very well, maybe it's a total stranger that you um, just run into at the supermarket, maybe it's someone in your life, uh, uh, maybe here at church or, or on your block of, of where you live, someone that you don't know very well, it is your mission this week to make a new friend. You know, for me, um, you know, uh, Daniel and I moved into our new house about a year ago, and I, I realized the other day that we know the fellow that lives directly across the street from us, and we know the, uh, the woman and her daughter that have the chickens directly in back of us, and we know the, the fellow that works for the, the post office that's right to the left of us, and that's all of our neighbors that we know after a year and a half. So for me, it's going to be about meeting some of my neighbors this week. How many people here remember in the 50s when we knew everybody in the neighborhood? I hope a few of us are survivors from the 50s, right? And back in the 50s, everyone, it's, now sometimes in a small town, we might have known too much about each other, and I suppose there's a danger in that. But it was so pleasurable to know that if you were caught late at work that Mrs. Colson next door could pick up the kids at school, right? It was so sweet that you knew that if you were going to be on vacation for a, a, a couple weeks that the Rosenbaums right across the street from you would water your lawn and even mow your lawn, probably. And you wouldn't even have to do any more than to say, we're going to be gone for a couple weeks and here are the keys. Would you look out for us? You'd come home and the yard would look better <laughs> than when you left it. All right, these feelings of love, these sense of connections, these desires to be in partnership with other people around us still exist today. Let's act upon them. Let this week draw some new people into your life as well as let's do that confirmation of the people that we already love. Let us make sure that they know it. So that's your homework for the week. I'm going to close with a prayer, but I also have one more quote for Ernest Holmes. This is how he ends the material for this week. He writes in Love and Law, We must take our life, our love, our thoughts of happiness, our thought of friendship, and make it become universal. You stand as a manifest friend to every living soul. In love with life, 
surrounded by a boundless, limitless, infinite activity whose sole impulse is the dynamic power of irresistible love. Nothing can limit it, and you stand in the midst of it. The whole universe is flooded with such life, such intelligence, such love, and it is all manifested by perfect peace. It is all yours. Reach out or reach within. It is all yours now. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence. There is one life. There is one love. It is that which I call God, but by any other name, this love would be just as sweet. It is that love with which a, a mother holds a newborn baby. It is that love with which uh, two partners look into each other's eyes. It is the love of friendship on that first day back from school in third grade. It is the love that we share in this room on Sundays and beyond when we simply get closer, more intimate to the people that we care about. This is God. This is love. And I know that it's truth for me that in my life it is full of loving relationships and that as I discover that perhaps I have imposed uh, conditions or strings to the people I love, I gently release these loving strings now, allowing the people in my life to experience life to its fullest, to make their free choices, to understand their own connection to God, to life, and to love. And as it is true for me, I know it is true for each person in this room, that each person here this week and beyond experiences that greater degree of love in their own lives, making their own choices that are loved-based and allowing the people we care about the most to do the same. We are sharing and exclaiming and proclaiming and sharing our love with one another this week. I also know that there is an ease with which each person in this room expands this circle of love outward through new friends, through giving and receiving love in a greater and greater way. And I am simply grateful for this, simply grateful for life showing up as love. I just let it be. And so it is. Thank you very much. Thank you.